You know, if you think about Super Bowl, we think about the most annoying penalty in the game of football today, which is targeting. Because when, when targeting happens, you know, it just interrupts the whole game. And, and the, the rules are a little bit fuzzy. That's a bad thing for targeting. The rules are a little bit fuzzy, so people have a hard time interpreting it. And so normally when targeting is called in a game, you know, they're going to have to go to replay, and they're going to go on and on, and all the announcers are going to analyze it. It just sort of throws the flow of the game out. Let me show you an example of targeting. Whoa, got it. It just happened like four plays in a row. <laughs> That's why I gave my athletic ability to ping pong. It was, um, it was just much safer. But, I mean, if you, you see that happen, it, it's why, you know, we are developing the best helmets in history. Because we know when someone is targeted in the head, it messes their head up. We, we live long enough, we've studied enough to see the result of concussions long-term, even more serious brain injuries. We've seen how it destroys people's quality of life, even live, leads to imminent death. And, and so as you watch the Super Bowl today, understand when you see those helmets, but the NFL is investing millions and millions of dollars with three or four different companies, just praying somebody will come up with a helmet that can stop this. Why? Because we know what it does. And whether you're playing sports or you're in construction or you're in war, you know the importance of a helmet. I was reading about a, a young man that was in Afghanistan this week, and, um, you know, he, he always complained about this bulky, hot helmet he was told to wear in the middle of Afghanistan. Until one day, you know, he was overtaken by a raid and a slew of shots were fired at him and they all hit his helmet. And when he got back to his tent, he took his helmet off and he could see how many shots had been right at his head and how he had been protected. He never complained another day about wearing a helmet. And here's today's point, guys, is we're in this spiritual warfare let me just say this very plainly. You've got to get this today. Satan is targeting you. He's targeting your head. Because if he can get in your head, he can mess you up. As most of us recognize that the battleground of our life is in our head, it's in our mind. Satan normally doesn't first win in our actions. He first wins in our mind. I was reminded of this last night. I, I got a phone call from a young man I met at Gulf Coast Getaway a few years ago. I'm just going to use the word John. John was his name. I met him after I taught a class. He was a baseball player at Tennessee Tech University. And obviously really, really good. And um, he got messed up because of COVID. They didn't have a draft one year. And now he, you know, it doesn't take much. They think you're too old. And so since he's graduated, I mean, he's just been killing himself preparing. He actually went to the state of Connecticut to train, lived out of his car for a few months, just never told his parents, just so he could be close to the closest people to train. Finally, he went back home to California, and um, he found out about a, a, a winter league, and he's playing in that winter league right now. And he's actually doing really, really good. He's hitting over 500 and making incredible plays. He was approached the other day by seven different teams to be in the major leagues. And he's chosen a team to go play for this spring in Colorado. But three days ago, he made two errors. And he called me devastated. 
He had two errors and had a weird encounter with his dad who he's never had a really great relationship with. And he's messed up in the head. And he's struggling. And I'm like, did they withdraw the scholarship? I mean, the, 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 you know, the offer to go play. Oh, no, no. Even the guy came up to me after and said, no big deal. I'm like, John, why are, you, why are you struggling with this, man? You know you're good. You know you've practiced. You know these teams have seen you. You've outperformed everybody else in the league. I mean, but now he said, but I just can't get these errors out of my mind, man. It's just, it's just dominating. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed about it, and I'm beginning to question if I'm, I'm any good. And so what he really needed to do was just get it out there and talk about it and, and pray about it. But, you know, from our vantage point, we said, why is the guy so messed up in the head? But listen to me, guys. All of us are the same way. We can be floating through life, everything go well, and we make two errors, and we think it's all over. Because Satan is targeting our head, and he wants to get there so he can destroy us. Now, here's, what, here's our good news this morning. God has developed the perfect helmet. In Ephesians chapter 6, as we look at the armor of God, we are told to put on, to take up the helmet of salvation. There's a big deal in a Roman army. Helmet salvation was uh, made of, of bronze, and it uh, fit over your skull, and it had a little piece that went across your brow, had pieces that came down almost like sideburns. And, and so much of the combat in that day was ha- hand-to-hand, and the most dangerous weapon against you was this big sword that took two hands to, to use. And the idea was you got to have protection if that sword comes against your head. And so it's an incredible piece of armor. And when Paul thinks about our spiritual warfare and Satan who targets our head, he says, you've got to put this on, the helmet of salvation. Now, let me help you out of here. What is the helmet of salvation? What does it mean to put it on? Write this down. This is important. Putting on the helmet of salvation means meditating on all God has done for me and all God has planned for me. Because salvation is not just about one moment in time. It's about me living in meditation. It's me living with the knowledge constantly that God has adopted me. He's forgiven me. He's saved me. He's welcomed me into the family. And in the future, no matter what happens, I am heaven bound. I will live with him forever in a place of perfection. And what Paul is saying is when Satan comes against you with these blows, when you have this helmet of salvation on, you are protected. Why? Because you know who you are and you know where you're going. I think about Jesus, the shadow of the cross, John chapter 13. I mean, he's about to be crucified. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be denied. And he gets down and he washes the disciples' stinking feet. But what the scripture says before this that made him able to do this is it says here, he knew where he had come from and Jesus knew where he was going. When you live in that moment of assurance, you can handle whatever's going on in your life. And the blows will bounce off the helmet. It's just like my friend John, two errors, and he thinks he's not a good baseball player. Despite the fact of everything in his past and everything lined up in his future, Satan could work right there. How often do you and I take a couple shots to the head? You're worthless. You'll never get over that problem. Man, look at all the negative things happen around me. 
I'm just full of anxiety. You know, I've been working really hard at this, and I just had this setback. Because when we, we live with the helmet of salvation, we know who we are, and we know even how bad it gets, we're okay. If the worst thing possible were to happen to you today, you would actually be better off by the end of the day than you are now, not even watching the Super Bowl. I mean, you would be in heaven. So here's the great thing about God. No matter what setbacks you're going through, God always uses that setback to set you up for a comeback because you're secure in him. So here's two things I always talk about today I think are really important. How do you know you're saved? Okay? We need to put this, how do we know we're saved? And, and second, and this is the most practical part of the message today, is how do you think like you're saved? Because I think a lot of us, when we look at it, we know we're saved, but we don't think like saved people. So am I saved? That's a tough question. You ever had anybody in a small group or maybe just one-on-one say, hey, hey, if Jesus were to come back right now and this roof were to be split, this is preacher talk, and this roof were to be split wide open, man, and the judgment day were to come, do you know if you'd be saved or lost? We'll be like, oh, don't ask me that question. And I've heard people say things like, oh, man, buddy, I, I, I really hope so. I've heard people on their deathbed contemplating that question saying, oh man, I, I hope so, but I, here's, here's what they'll say. You may, I've just not done enough. How do we deal with that? You see, there are two different ways of looking at this in, in the Christian realm. The, the, the theological terms are Calvinism and Arminianism. And, and, and Calvinism says something like this, popularly called, once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And uh, Arminianism is more, okay, you can be saved, but if you go into rebellion, you could lose your salvation. And I'm sure we have people who believe both of these things. But, but here's what I want to say to you today. I'm not here to address that as much as to say, Satan can attack you either way. Because over here on this side, you had no choice. It was completely God's choice. It wasn't anything about your reaction. And so Satan can attack your head by going, the truth is, I'm so screwed up, I must not have really been elect. And over here you go, oops, I went too far and I lost it. You see, we, we have two different ways. If you're over on this end of the spectrum, you know, if, 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 you, um, you know, if you're living for Jesus and then you go in rebellion and you're just sinning like crazy, the people who believe this will say, he must have never been saved. Couldn't live that way if he was really saved. On this end, we'll say, well, he was saved, and he lost it, and hope he gets it back. And guys, this kind of thinking, just it, 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 both sides are so prone to be attacked. Either side you believe on that, you can be attacked in your head about that. And so how do we deal with this? I want you to go to a, a book of the Bible with me, 1 John chapter 1, okay? No, chapter 5 we'll start at, because the book of 1 John is really written so people can know they're saved. Casey, since you left, they printed these little Bible things, man, and you just get the verses really quick. 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. All right, listen to what he says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants you to know. Now, go back now to chapter 1, because I think he starts addressing it back in chapter 1. And he says some really good things here. And, and look, listen to verse 5, all right? Chapter five, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And we'll go through this a little slowly. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. 
God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If, and guys, the, the word if is a pretty big word in this passage. Sort of throw, changes everything. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. He says, if you're out there claiming to be a Christian and you're living like the devil, you're living a lie. That's pretty plain. But verse 7 is really key. If, instead of walking in darkness, we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 7 is one of the best verses you might want to memorize. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. Now, here's the key to that. That word cleanse there is a continual present tense in the Greek. What it means is the blood of Jesus constantly is, is washing you. I mean, some, some people call it the, the windshield wiper. It's just going back and forth no matter what happens. Because many of us over here on this side, we're afraid the moment I sin, I'm gone. So I'm outside, you know, and I'm, I'm nailing something. I hit my thumb, and I let out a slew of cuss words, and uh, Jesus comes back, and I'm gone. But if I was out there, you know, nailing away, and I hit my thumb, and I slew a cuss words, and I pray real quick, and then Jesus comes back, I'm okay, right? Anybody ever thought that way? It's just if you had time to get the prayer in, right? Because John's arguing against that. He's saying it's, it's not in and out. I mean, you, you can't just lose your salvation. It's, it, there's a constant washing away of your sins. Now, he's going to make it really plain. He's not talking about someone being together and being perfect. I mean, keep reading. Go to verse 8. He says so, to the same people, now listen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. John's making it really plain. If any of you say, I'm saved because I've got it all together. There is a theology out there in the Christian world that if you were really saved, you'd completely stop sinning. John says that's a lie. And if you claim it, I hate to be ugly to you, you're a liar. So, being right with God is not about being sinless. It's about that attitude that says, I want to keep on walking with Jesus. And even when I really blow it, man, I'm sorry about it. I want to keep, keep walking in line with him. And then, remember in the Bible, there are no chapter divisions, so the next couple of verses follow. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I mean, that's our goal. And we want to be just like Jesus. That's who we'd like to be. By the end of 1 John, he'll say, when the moment you see Jesus face to face, you will be just like him. That day's coming, but it's not now. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Who did Jesus die for, guys? Everybody. Who does God want saved? Everybody. There's two key words here in this passage. One is advocate. That means you got a defense attorney pleading your case. He's your counselor. He's your advocate. And even while you're struggling and a little up and down and you make a couple of errors, man, we got an advocate in heaven that says, hey, I know he did this. I know nobody did this, but he's mine. 
And then the foundation of all of this is that he is the atoning sacrifice. Because Jesus was sinless. Jesus was able to pay the price for our sins. He, he atoned for our sins. So when God sees us, despite our imperfections and all the errors we've hit, he sees absolute perfection. So how do you know you're saved? Here, here, here's our problem. Pay close attention here. We're asking the wrong questions. Because so often if someone says, buddy, if Jesus came back right now, do you know you'd go to heaven? Are you saved? Here's where mine go, my mind goes. Even sometimes during communion. How did I perform last week? Are you saved? Oh, I sinned yesterday. Because that John's told us clearly, that's not the right question. What are the right questions? Let me give you a couple questions I think that will help you when you're looking at this. Number one, am I trusting the saving work of Jesus? Because salvation is all about faith. When you were originally saved, it's because you finally gave up on yourself. You said, I can't save myself. Only thing I can do is put my faith in Jesus, okay? That's where it all starts. Here's the good news. That's where it continues. When you became a Christian, you confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, and you surrendered yourself to him as the Lord of your life. Pretty simple. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord of my life. In that moment, when you surrendered and you were baptized, in that moment, everything changed. And you had assurance. But here's the problem, though. Sometimes we don't have assurance two hours later. But listen to me. It's the same question. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Is he the Lord of your life? That's the questions. Am I putting my faith? See, the question where I go, am I saved? Well, how did I do last week? Am I saved? When's the last time I sinned? That's putting my faith in me. When I go, am I saved? The question is, do I still believe he's the son of God? And even beyond that, because even the devil believes that. And do I put my trust in him as the Lord of my life? So that's the first question, really important question to ask. And so you might ask yourself, through your words or your actions, have you renounced Jesus as the Son of God? Some people do. Question number two, am I walking with Jesus or walking away from Jesus? I think that's the point of this passage. What is the light? Well, Jesus is the light. Walking in the light is walking in Jesus. Walking in darkness is when I walk out of the light. So the word walk here is really important. Am I walking with Jesus? That doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I still believe he's the son of God. He's still the Lord of my life. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and encouragement of my family, even when I make those errors, I'm picked back up, and I just keep on following Jesus. Thank goodness he didn't say it was a sprint. He didn't say, are you sprinting with Jesus? Few of us do that. He's just saying, are you walking with Jesus? And sometimes, let's be honest, it's so hard. It's just putting one foot in front of another. And I'm all goofed up sometimes, especially in my head. But if I corner myself, I sure believe he's the son of God and he's my only hope. And I want him to rule in my life. I'm walking with Jesus. Now, this is just my opinion. Some of you won't agree with this. 
How do you lose your salvation? When you walk away from Jesus. It's not just slipping. It's not just you sin here. It's not just you made a mistake. It's when you make a deliberate, conscious choice. I'm not walking with Jesus anymore. He's not going to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's, it's very deliberate. In, in the book of Psalms, it's called the great sin. In the book of Hebrews, he talks about deliberately sinning. It, it's the idea, I finally get to this point, I go, you know, I know everything you've done for me, Jesus. I know how much you love me, I, but I'm telling you what, I'm not following you anymore. I know what your commands are, but I do not care. I, I, I'm just, I'm going to walk away from Jesus. Now, now, look at a passage with me real quickly that I, I think will help you with this. First Peter, uh, excuse me, Second Peter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2. He describes some people like this in verse 20. He talks about some people who obviously had come to know Jesus. They've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, things are great, man. But then they are again entangled in it and overcome. They're not, they, it's not they just slipped up. They've completely given in to it. They're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. This is some pretty tough language. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and then have known it and turn their backs. There we go. Walk away. How, how do you, you turn your back on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Walk away. Turn your back. Now what I'm about to read to you is gross. But Peter wants you to know how gross it is to walk away from Jesus. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. Enough said. So the question we must ask is, you know what? Am I trusting the saving work of Jesus, not myself, not in my perfect, but in my continuing to walk with Jesus, or has there come a point in my life where I've just said, you know what, I reject you, Jesus. I do what I want to do. Here's what I believe is God will not take away your free will. This is a love relationship, and he's never going to go, I won't honor your choice there. And so questions are not about perfect. Here's the final point here. It's not about direction. It's, it's about direction, not perfection. He goes, that's why if some of us are on this side of my illustration here. Guys, some of us have lived feeling in and out and in and out of salvation. I've had a really good day and I'm saved. And then I blow it on Monday and then I get back in the Word on Tuesday and it's just in and out. Guys, that's not the way God wants you to live. It's a lot harder than that to walk away. And so, here's what I'm saying to you. Guys, here's what God's looking at. He's not looking for perfection. He simply wanting to know, do you still believe Jesus is the Son of God? Or are you still walking with him as the Lord of your life? And that will come up in a life where, you know, when you do sin, you confess it. When you do blow it, you just get back up and you keep walking. But you don't have to doubt your salvation every time that happens. So, first of all, we need to know we're saved. But here's the important thing is we need to think like we're saved. Now, I don't have much time on this, but I just want to show you some things that happen in the book of Ephesians, okay? Because that's what Paul's dealing with there. Because all these lies that are planted in our mind, you know, are defeated by the truth of God's Word. Now, let me just go through some of them. Um, 
Have you ever felt like you're unworthy? Well, Paul's going to say to you in Ephesians 1 and 2, you are blameless. You are ho- I'm holy like God. You ever feel unloved? He says, you are greatly loved. He's lavished his love on you. You ever feel like you're incapable? I just can't get it done. He says, you're powerful. You have the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. You ever feel like you're undesirable? I've done so much. How could God desire me? How could anybody put up with me? Jesus says, the scripture says, no, no, no. You are chosen by me. Have you ever thought, I did something so bad, I'm unforgiven? God says, you are forgiven. In fact, when you go back to God, because he not only forgives, he forgets. If you confess that same sin twice, he's going to shake his head and go, I don't even know what you're talking about, buddy. Or how many of us live with the, the lie that my life is insignificant? And the truth of Scripture is my life has purpose. I was created in Christ Jesus as a piece of art. To perform his will. So can I ask you as you look at this list for a moment? Do any of these left side, does it dominate your mind? See, that, that's the lies of Satan. I, I, I told my friend John last night, I said, John, if you didn't care about these things, you wouldn't be calling me, preacher all the way across the country. Because if you didn't care about Jesus, you probably wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening to this. And Satan's going to say, oh, despite all that, man, here's who you are. And guys, what we've got to do with scriptures, we've got to to combat those lies with truth. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about how I think that happens. Uh, Here's here's a great new word. The good news is neuroplasticity. You want to say that with me? Neuroplasticity. That's a cool word. And what it actually means is that scientists have discovered that your brain can be rewired. That's the easiest way of putting it. You know, so often on that bad list, I fall over the edge, like y'all think I'm always about to do. I fall over the edge, and I'm in this, I'm in this rut. Don't tell me you don't think that. I fall over the edge, and I'm in this rut. Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling really good, you know. Make two errors. I feel like nothing. And all of us have those ruts in our heads. It's things we've thought over and over and over and over again, and they become ruts. Here's the great news. We have found out this mind that God created is so amazing that new neurological paths can be built in your brain. And those old ruts can go away. Now, good for scientists. God knew that a whole long time ago. Let me share two verses with you, then we're going to close out here. Wish I had a little more time. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Love this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. What's he saying? Put those thoughts in jail dismantle them. Listen to who God said you were, not who Satan says you are. And then look at another great passage, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How does it happen? Neuroplasticity by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
So guys, here's the good news. I, I, don't know, I don't know where you are on all this. And I don't know if Satan's got you stuck in your thoughts, you know. It might be about salvation. It might be about something else in your life. But, but you just have these recurring thoughts that you're unworthy. You're not forgiven. And God says, if you just listen to me. And here, here's just three steps here. Identify the lie, dismantle the lie, and replace it with truth. So... Here's my question for you today. Let's make it simple because I've thrown out a lot of stuff here. Are you wearing the helmet of salvation? Remember what we said at the beginning? It's meditating on what God has done for you and what God has planned for you that changes your present. Can I ask you, what are you meditating on? Meditating is a positive word. A word that means basically the same thing in a negative sense is what are you worrying about? Are you wearing the helmet of salvation? If you're not, listen to me, if you're not meditating on who God says you are and what God has planned for you for eternity, then you're going to be so vulnerable to Satan's attacks because he's going to come after you at your head. So let me talk to three groups of people. There may be some people here you have never put on the helmet of salvation. You've never confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. You've never named him the Lord of your life. You've never been baptized, putting your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this morning, in just a moment, you have that opportunity. And then there's some of us who, you know, the truth is, we put it on, but somehow we took it off and we walked away. And, you know, this is scary stuff. And I'm sure I'm probably talking to somebody in here. You, you've, you've literally done it. You, you were walking with Jesus somewhere. You got fed up or discouraged or depressed. Things just weren't working. And you just said, you know what? Forget you. I, I'm walking away. And if you have done that, here's the good news. He wants you to come back. And if we can pray for you in just a moment, we'd love to pray for you. Stop walking in the wrong direction. Turn around and do what you did at the beginning. Believe he's the son of God and allow him to be the Lord of your life. But then for many of us, I'm afraid. We just forgot to put it on. You see, in this part of the armament, it's not something you wear every day, every, uh, every moment. It's, it's what you put on in the battle. And all these things about you that God says are true, but you're walking around like my friend John because you've made two errors, you think you're out of it. And I'm so sorry because I've walked that way myself, and it's miserable. And my challenge for you today is to put on the helmet of salvation, to meditate on what God has done for you and what he has planned for you because it's incredible. He doesn't mean for you to walk around in this terrible state of just trying to make it and just hopefully you're going to heaven and maybe I'm saved and maybe I'm not. And He never meant the Christian life to be lived this way. Now, here's the interesting fact, and then we'll sing. In the Roman army, everybody didn't have the helmet of salvation because you had to buy it. So the rich folks would go out and protected. The poor folks would go out unprotected. Okay? 
Here's the good news before we sing this song, before you respond. Jesus already bought it for you. This helmet is for everybody in this room. Take it up. Put it on. Live in salvation. Let's stand together and see. If you need to come.